please pray with me? God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This summer I've been taking the topics for my sermons from conversations that are going on in the public sphere. Often this is conversations I see taking place on Facebook, sometimes in the media. Sometimes it's conversations that I or you might have with friends or family. Today's subject will be most relevant to United Methodists who are working out their relationship to this denomination of ours. So if that isn't you, I apologize. And I hope that you might still find something of value as you reflect on what it means to have a church that is home for you. I was at a party in June, a birthday party for a friend. This friend and I don't have a ton of overlap in our friendship circles, so most of the people there were people I don't know. It was a relaxed day at a house near the beach, so there was plenty of time for conversation. At one point, I was chatting with one person who I had just met, and the conversation came around to what we do for work. We talked a bit, and then she said, I don't mean to be critical, but I really don't understand. How can you stay in a church that discriminates against gay and lesbian people? How do you justify it? It was interesting to find myself tongue-tied for a moment. It's not that I haven't thought about it. Of course I have. In fact, I used to have to answer that question what felt like all the time. Before I went to seminary, I lived in Berkeley and worked in San Francisco. I moved in circles of relatively left-leaning young adults and felt a part of the Bay Area's gay community. When I began the process of being a candidate for ordination in the United Methodist Church and then made the decision to go to seminary, I would get that question all the time. Friends and coworkers and even acquaintances would ask me, how can you stay in a church that discriminates against gay and lesbian people? People would ask that question with varying degrees of curiosity or belligerence. And I became very, very practiced at answering. But when this friend of a friend asked me this question in June, I realized that I was out of practice. I was briefly tongue-tied because I have been so immersed in United Methodist circles for so long now that I think it's been over a decade since anyone asked me that question. Recently, a couple from another United Methodist church were visiting us here in Davis this summer. As I chatted with them, they were telling me about their involvement in their home church. One partner is a member of the church, volunteers on committees and all of that. The other partner has never joined as a member. She says she can't bring herself to seek membership in a denomination that continues to explicitly discriminate against LGBT folks. So this question is still very much alive today and is alive for many people. I'm guessing that here in this congregation, different ones of us have different relationships to the question. Maybe it's something that you really haven't given much thought to. Maybe it's something that you've thought about many times 
and maybe you've made your peace with the United Methodist Church. Perhaps it's something you struggle to sort out on an ongoing basis. And maybe you have chosen not to become an official member of the United Methodist Church because of the policies of our denomination. And I would really like to hear from you whether you struggle with this question or not, so maybe you can tell me on your way out. The question of why stay is a question worth asking. Human institutions are imperfect, and the struggle with religious institutions isn't new. Jesus was a faithful Jew, but he wrestled with the imperfections in his own religious tradition. In the face of religious rules that barred contact between Jews and Samaritans, Jesus met a Samaritan woman at a well and asked her to draw water for him to drink and in turn offered her that living water that quenches our deepest thirst. When some of the sacred rituals of Jewish temple practices became co-opted by commercial interests, Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple. He was angry at what had happened to his denomination, or, I mean, to his temple, and he wanted to set it right. And in the story we heard from Scripture this morning, Jesus broke the rules that forbade work on the Sabbath by doing the work of healing a woman who was bent over by a crippling spirit. And this is not, as many of us know, the only time Jesus ran up against the religious authorities for violating the Sabbath, as they saw it. Apparently, Jesus thought that some of the rules and regulations of his religious tradition were meant to be broken. But of course, Jesus didn't break rules for the sake of being rebellious. Jesus held his followers to a high standard, and he talked often about upholding the law, and at times spoke about going beyond the law in their conduct. But sometimes there was a person in desperate need of healing. Sometimes there was a person in desperate need of being set free from bondage. And when Jesus encountered someone in need of healing, in need of being set free from bondage, Jesus followed his God-given mission of healing and liberation, even when that meant bumping up against the formal institutional laws of his religious community. As disciples of Jesus ourselves, as followers of Jesus, we too are called to do the work of healing and liberation in this world. And in the particular context of the United Methodist Church and denominational policies that discriminate, the work of healing and liberation bumps us right up against the laws of our wider religious community. The work of healing and liberation sometimes calls us to break the rules. Many of you as individuals do this work in our denomination, and this church as a whole, as a congregation, does this work of healing and liberation by being a reconciling congregation, by being a congregation that explicitly states our full welcome to all people, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity, and in spite of what official denominational policies or language say. 
So there are good ways to stay in an imperfect human institution. But how we stay, how we work within an institution, is not at all the same as why we stay. My answers to the questions of why I stay fall into two categories. One way to put it is that I have both head reasons and heart reasons for staying. So I'll tell you about both. For head reasons, I love our Wesleyan heritage. Some of you who have been around for a while have on occasion heard me preach a sermon that included more of John Wesley's words than my own words. I love so much about the ways John Wesley wrote about our faith and the Christian life. I am truly compelled by this founder of the Methodist movement. I love his emphasis on grace. I love that Wesley's theology was practical because I need a practical theology in order to help me put my faith into practice. I love the ways our Wesleyan heritage continues to shape the Methodist people today. Methodists have an openness to thinking and the use of reason and an openness to diverse understandings together in the same community. Methodists value grace and responsibility held in balance, honoring the supremacy of God's grace, of God's role, while also taking seriously that we have a responsibility in living the Christian life. Methodists have a strong emphasis on the practices of the Christian faith and see a balance here also between those practices that are traditionally called acts of piety and those called acts of mercy. Acts of piety are those ways we nurture and deepen our faith, our relationship with God. Acts of piety are congregational worship and the sacrament of communion and prayer and the study of scripture, for example. Acts of mercy are those ways we make a difference in the world through service and through advocacy. Acts of mercy are feeding the hungry, giving money to the poor or to those organizations that support the poor, and visiting those in prison, for example. I also love the diversity of the United Methodist Church. We are the most truly global denomination of the mainline Protestant denominations, with churches and annual conferences in Africa and Latin America and Asia. And though our individual congregations vary in how diverse or not they are, when we gather as a body, as a district or as an annual conference or as our general conference, we are beautifully, visibly diverse. I've had colleagues of mine who've had occasion to be part of these United Methodist gatherings, colleagues from other denominations who are just stunned by our diversity and how much more diverse we are than many other denominations. The Methodists also built an appreciation for diversity into our very structures. Where many denominations have sister denominations in other countries, like how the Episcopalians have the Episcopal Church in the United States and the Anglican Church in Africa and the Anglican Church in England, the United Methodist Church is a global denomination. 
As the church became more global through the work of missionaries in the 19th century and into the 20th century, the church decided that our international churches would be equal partners in the work of the denomination, with equal power and participation and authority. It's not structured perfectly, and there are some folks who are examining that, but it is a very different model from a model where the American church sets all the rules without equal input from the churches in other countries or other continents. This global structure makes it very difficult today to talk about issues of sexuality. But at the same time, it was quite visionary to establish structures that invited global partners to have a place at the table equal to the American church. And I think that was the correct impulse. Part of our struggle as a denomination today is a direct result of our diversity. We don't all agree. So as a national and international church, we argue. And sometimes we work against one another. And this is part of why I stay. Do you really want to be a part of a church where everyone thinks alike? Do you really want to avoid dialogue with people who disagree with you? Please don't say yes. I understand the temptation to say yes, I really do. There are things that happen like, you know, depending on your political perspective, you may agree with this or not, but you might hear Donald Trump speak and think, I do not want to be in conversation with those people. I understand that sometimes it's hard to say yes. These conversations are hard. But if people are going to be more important to us than ideas, then we need to engage people whose ideas are different from ours. And in the United Methodist Church, this engagement is almost inevitable. I think this is also what we see in Jesus' life. He engaged with people and made people a priority above right ideas. Doing this in this congregation, in this church, is a wonderful way to practice. Because, you know, our differences in this congregation put us, like, this far apart. You take me and Donald Trump and we end up like this. But here we're like this, so what a great chance to practice, to willingly practice sincere engagement with people who think differently from ourselves. This is part of why I stay. In our denomination, it's difficult and sometimes it's painful. And we often fail at doing this well. But what a vision to imagine that we can have a tent big enough to hold our differences and still understand ourselves as the body of Christ together. So those are my head reasons for staying. Our Wesleyan heritage, the present-day character of our theology and practice, and our diversity, this big tent that we are. But the truth is that I expect I could come up with good head reasons for being in any denomination. And as strong as my head reasons are, as logical as they sound to me, my heart reasons matter more. My heart reasons are what really keep me here. Blaise Pascal is quoted as having said, the heart has its reasons of which reason knows nothing. 
And yes, that's something like how it works in my head, in my relationship to the United Methodist Church. A few years ago, I reconnected with an old friend, and in the course of catching up, he told me that he had become active in a Roman Catholic church, and he immediately started apologizing. He said, I know there is so much wrong with the Catholic church, and part of me feels guilty for being part of an institution like that. I feel like I need to make excuses. My friends don't understand. But I go to Mass, and I sing in the choir, and I am so deeply fed. I think I said something like, Honey, you don't need to apologize to me for being part of a flawed Christian denomination. (laughs) Another friend of mine left the church probably five decades ago. She's in her 70s now. She grew up nominally churched, but decided as a young adult that she wanted nothing to do with church. She left and never looked back. And every single day, she prays the 23rd Psalm. She says she thinks it is the most perfect prayer that has ever been written in the history of the world. She says it captures her spiritual journey and her belief in God. It feeds her heart. So this is not logical for her own spiritual journey and having left the traditions behind to be so drawn to this prayer as to use it daily. But this is the thing that tugs at her heart. There's a lot about the ways some of us relate to church that is beyond logic or reason. It's about what tugs at our hearts. It's about what feeds our spirits even when we can't explain why. It's about something that feels like home. They say that a baby bird will imprint on the first creature it sees when it uh, emerges from its shell. Perhaps a human imprints on the denomination they are in when they go through confirmation or are active in youth group or are a young adult. I am not a lifelong United Methodist. I come from a family that moved from one denomination to another along with geographical moves. But I was in the United Methodist Church when I went through confirmation and when I was active in youth group. And when I moved to a new city after college and was looking for a church, it was the United Methodist Church that I found. And whether or not people imprint on churches the way baby birds imprint on their mothers, I do seem to have imprinted on the United Methodist Church. It feels like home. It is almost as if somewhere in my DNA There is something that recognizes the DNA of the United Methodist Church. And that recognition, that resonance, is the basis of my relationship with this denomination beyond anything I can tell you about John Wesley or the means of grace or anything my head can come up with. So I keep opting in. I don't believe there is any should in this conversation. I would never say or believe that a person should opt in to the United Methodist Church. I would never say or believe that a person should opt out of the United Methodist Church, although there are good reasons for both decisions. I do believe that it is impossible to find a perfect human institution, and we all make different choices about which set of imperfections we can live with. So for all the reasons I can talk through from my head, 
and the less tangible reasons that stem from my heart, I continue to opt in. And however you feel about the challenges of church institutions and whatever choices you make, I am so glad you are here with me. I am so glad you are here in this church today, whether only for an hour or whether this hour represents years. I am glad you are opting in some way for this greater vision, that by coming together as church, we are the body of Christ in the world today. Amen.